Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, speaker Pastor Brian Robertson gives a special Father's Day message entitled, Pass It On. You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. I do want to tell you this story as we start, and it's about the head track coach at Ohio State University from 1932 to 1965. His name was Lawrence Larry Snyder. He coached some of the greatest track athletes in history, including Hall of Famers Jesse Owens, Dave Albritton, Glenn Davis, and Mal Whitfield. Snyder, before he did that, was a pilot instructor in World War I. He did stunt flying in the early 1920s, and then he enrolled at Ohio State. He had his own outstanding track career, and he later wound up as track coach at OSU. And during his coaching career, his athletes set 14 world records, won 52 All-American certificates, and eight Olympic gold medals. When Jesse Owens came to Ohio State from his home in Alabama, it was at a time when the majority of the country still did not permit black athletes to participate in university sports. But Snyder allowed it. By comparison, Ohio State's football team didn't allow black athletes to participate. This was Snyder's conviction and character, not university policy. It said that Larry Snyder taught Jesse Owens how to block out the crowd and keep his focus on the race. But it also is obvious to me that Snyder's integrity had far-reaching impact on the world. And this became evident when, at the 1936 Olympics in Germany, Jesse Owens, in addition to winning four gold medals, befriended his arch-rival, who happened to be Adolf Hitler's great hope to prove the supremacy of the Aryan race. His name was Luz Long. This just wasn't done, especially in front of the Fuhrer himself. While Owen's success as a runner proved wrong the dogma of Nazism, more importantly, what was taking place was that the character to stand up to the status quo and fight against racism was passed from Snyder to another generation in Jesse Owens. This is what I want to spend our time today considering. And yes, this is Father's Day weekend, but I want you to know this before we begin. This, I believe this message is applicable to all those who are raising children or grandchildren in your home, but it is also applicable to those of you who are spiritual mentors and leaders of any kind, both men and women. Well, guess what? This is applicable to every person in this room because ultimately we all have influence on somebody. And so I want to start with this key question. What must Christian fathers parents, mentors, and leaders do and be to make sure that the message of the gospel thrives in coming generations. Now note in my question that there are two important words, do and be. For the gospel to be passed on in its depth and its beauty to coming generations, it must not just be taught, but lived out. We have to be people who do and people who, let's go bad English, be. 
So if you haven't already, take your sermon notes out of your worship folder, get your Bible set to go, and we're going to dig in. So what must we do to make sure that the message of the gospel thrives in coming generations? First thing I think we have to do is to parent well. We have to parent well. Proverbs 17, 6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of the children is their father's. In this great book of wisdom, Proverbs in Scripture, we discover this simple reminder of the fact that well-parented families depend on one another for their identity and their joy. Both young and old should cherish their intergenerational relationships that are available. And it is indeed a reminder of the truth because I think it's easy to lose sight of the important things that are right in front of our eyes, right in our homes. And it goes both ways. See, it's important for the young to discover joy in their elders. And it's important for the older to receive joy from the youngest members of their family, especially when none of it involves diaper changing. That's outlawed. Now, contextually in, the, in these times, this, this would even make more impact in the lives of people reading these Proverbs. You see, to the Jewish people, family was the proof of God's blessing or curse. The more children, the more glory. The more grandchildren, the greater the glory. And as children grew to honor and respect their parents, the aged parents became their glory as they became wise and learned heads of these large households. We see this idea of parenting well. Well, what's it mean to parent well? I want to look at three simple things that I think it can mean. First, good parenting points to the Father. Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The best, most life-changing thing that we can do for anyone is to teach them the most important relationship in their life is their relationship with God. This word Abba is the Aramaic word for father. It is a, a term of endearment for God himself. In no other world religion is God addressed in this familiar a way. In Judaism, the term father is used, but only in the sense of God being a life giver and a law giver. But in the Bible, we see God as our Father because He is the one who cares for us and lives in relationship with us. In his book, Father Hunger, author Doug Wilson writes this, Our males down here are only a dim, flickering image of what true masculinity is. We do not project our ideas of fatherhood up onto the big screen of the heavens. No, God's ultimate idea of fatherhood is projected down onto the little screens that each of us carries around. See, God is the pattern that we follow, not the other way around. We must, in good parenting, point to the Father. Second, I think we need to be people who commit to spiritual formation. 1 Thessalonians 2 says, For you know how like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. God has called us into and chosen us to be part of his kingdom. 
The apostle is challenging the church to live in the way that he and other leaders had lived their lives. Well, how is that? How did they live their lives? Well, he says it here, in a manner worthy of God. Paul is pointing them to the importance of spiritual formation. It is drawing closer to Jesus. Paul is saying in the same way that we were growing in our relationship with Christ, we want you to do this. Building a heart for the gospel, drawing closer to Jesus, becoming like Christ, because he is our example. It is that transformation into being like Christ that we are called to live. This commitment, when you read this verse, means that we need to be spending time and energy in the Bible and in prayer and in service and in spiritual disciplines. When children see their fathers, their mothers, their mentors, when they see them do these things, when they are shown how to do these things, this living, this walking of the Christian life, it will pass to the next generation. When we are given examples and when we're committed to spiritual formation in our own lives, it will happen in the lives of our children and our mentorees and those we lead. Third, what's it mean to parent well? I think it means to love unconditionally. 1 John 3:18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. How often have we heard the phrase, I can't hear what you're saying because your life is speaking so loudly? We must be people who love unconditionally. Love not based upon what a person does for us or how they might please us, but based upon the fact that we ourselves are forgiven by God and loved by him because he chooses to love us. Unconditional love also means that there will be times when we have to speak the truth. Not to wound, but to heal. Not to discourage, but to challenge and push forward. Not so we look good, which we tend to do as parents is we want to look good, but so that our children will become all that God intends them to be. We must love unconditionally. So for this to happen, for the gospel to be passed to the next generation, we must parent well. Second, we need to set the pace. 2 Timothy 3 says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and suffering. Follow is the key word here. The leader, the parent, is to set the pattern, a pace that the others follow. Now, preparing sermons is tough work, and sometimes you have to do really tough stuff like get on YouTube, which, by the way, is very addicting. Have you noticed that? So what I did this week is I, st I started watching film of past Olympics, especially relay races. And here's what I, I think I figured out, at least partially, this is partially true, is that it's often the key to winning on that relay team of four people is the first person on the relay team. Because they set the pace. They make the statement, okay, here's, here's where we're at. We are going to run hard and we are going to win. And the others are able to follow that pace and win. They set the pace. And I think that's how we're going to pass the gospel to the next generation and generations to come is to set the pace. Well, how do we do that in life? First, I think we have to exemplify integrity. Proverbs 27 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity 
Blessed are his children after him. If we don't live a life of integrity, we will rarely see it in the lives of those that we raise or lead. It's impossible to reproduce in others what we do not have in our own life. Apart from the intervention of God and other godly people that he might use, our children will not be people of integrity if we are not. Now, I love stories that I hear about those who have been impacted by someone who stepped into their messy, undisciplined life and made a difference. They impacted by example. Those are awesome stories. But how much better for every parent to live it out first that we exemplify integrity? That's how we can set the pace. Second, I think we can set the pace by living out compassion and grace. Luke 15 is the story of what we call around here the, the parable of the prodigal sons. There's, I want us to look at just the end of this in a different kind of way. And he, the son, the younger son who had been away from home, arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Those that we influence, those that we parent and mentor, those that we lead, the ones we influence must see in us this kind of compassion and grace. Grace, that undeserved favor toward the one who is unworthy of that favor and that care. It is showing forgiveness when it has not been sought. It is seeing the potential of someone who is living a life that shows anything but that potential. It is looking past our own hurts, like the hurt that the father had. It's looking past our own hurts, the ones caused by the very person we are choosing to embrace and welcome home. Here's what I think. I think when we step out of the small circle that we tend to draw around ourselves, you know, don't we live life sometimes that way? We draw a circle, and all the important things in our life are in the circle. When we step out past that and care for someone outside the circle, that is compassion. That is grace. The needs and the lives of others over our own. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is compassion and grace. And it is, a, it is one thing, that, a way that we can pass it on to the next generation. Next, I think we just need to be people who run with purpose. We have to run with a purpose. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do work for his good pleasure. What is our purpose in life? What should it be? Well, I would argue 
that it is his good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure. It's all about him. He is God. I am not. So what's with this fear and trembling part? Work it out with fear and trembling. Well, I challenge you to truly and deeply seek after knowing God and you will find out. You will learn what it means to fight for righteousness, to struggle against your own selfishness and sinful desires, learning to change your mindset from one of self-focus to others' focus. That can bring some fear and trembling. One writer put it this way, biblical leadership knows how to bleed for others. The foundation of all Christ's authority in the church is the blood that he shed. He took responsibility through sacrificial service and therefore all authority flowed to him. He shed his blood as he was assuming responsibility for the sins of all his people. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Jesus took the rap for things he didn't do. That's the model we are to live out. I believe this has to be true of every Christian, man or woman, who wants to run with purpose, that we live only for God's pleasure. Well, what else can we do to make sure that the gospel is passed to the next generation. I think we have to partner together. We have to partner together. And this has multiple meanings. I want to take us in a slightly different direction. Hebrews 10 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we seek to train our children, let's realize that we are in a partnership of sorts with them. We do it with them. Parenting isn't done to anybody. It's done with them, their personalities, their challenges, their point of views. Now, yes, this passage is often used for relationships in the church, but I would challenge you to not forget that you and your children are part of the church. You and your mentorees, you're, you're part of the church. You and your small group, you're part of the church. See, this practice is to be taking place in our homes as well as in our church building. This means we have to spend time together. A lost art, I think, sometimes in our culture. We can't neglect it. We have to encourage one another. It's a partnership of, of mutual encouragement. I am just, if not more, challenged by my sons, both my own as well as some of my adopted ones, as I hope they are by me. It is a mutual partnership. We partner together in spiritual growth. Now remember this too. This will get harder as we see the coming of the Lord get closer, we're told here. Have you noticed? It's getting harder in the U.S. to stand for truth and live for Jesus these days. I had one of my guys ask me just this week what I thought about the actions of a person in the public eye who says that they're a Christian but seems to be making decisions that do not follow biblical teaching. Well, it was a great question. It's getting harder to take those stands. We have to do this together. We do this in partnership of a parent and a child, of a mentor and a mentoree, of a leader and those that he or she leads. 
We do it together. We have to teach spiritual disciplines and boundaries in that relationship, in that partnership. To teach spiritual disciplines and boundaries. Let me read these three passages right in a row. Proverbs 19, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Hebrews 12.7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now you have to love Proverbs 19.18, parents. There is always hope for your kids, just don't kill them first. What is discipline? What's the purpose of discipline? Why would we want to set consequences for poor behavior and poor character and praise good character and good behavior? Why would we teach our children that hard work and focus is critical to growth and success? Why would we train them in a way that is tough and builds endurance? Well, because we live our life and our faith in a culture that is continually moving away from the truth. The purpose is to challenge others to live Christ-centered lives, ones that, is, ones that are pleasing to God. And as leaders, we have to make sure that our discipline is consistent. It can't become frustrating and confusing. I'm going to get off notes for just a second here to share something I, think, I feel like is important. If you're a parent, especially of small children that are still in the home, let me just give you a piece of advice from an old guy whose kids are gone. Don't have 52 million rules. Doesn't work. Don't have 52 rules. Here's, the, here's my rule of thumb. If I can't remember my rules, my kids ain't going to remember the rules. Because <laughs> they have the attention span of a gnat sometimes, okay? 2.6 seconds. It's done, forgot, on to something else. Look, a bug. Okay. Don't have that many rules. Have Five good rules, five, six good rules. Here's why. Then you can focus. The reality is, if everything is important, what's important? Nothing's important. Everything is not equal. See, as my kids were growing up, as my sons were growing up, their integrity and their purity were far more important things then what color they painted their hair, whether they got an earring or a tattoo, those are not the same things. They're not at the same, same level of importance. So we got a few earrings and tattoos and colored hair along the way. Whoop-dee-doo. Today, I can point to kids who are living lives of integrity. Well, what am I saying? Have a few rules that are important. And here's a good rule of thumb. There are rules for everybody in the house. So if you have a rule for your sons and daughters, if you have something you want to teach your mentorees or the people in your small group, you better be doing it. You better be following the rule too. Because where do we start? We have to be examples to be able to pass this on to the next generation. Okay, back on notes. Amazing what God gives you at like three o'clock in the morning on Sunday. You might go, I didn't think that was impressive. Well, whatever. Here's a life alert. If you haven't noticed, there are boundaries in life. There have to be boundaries in life. 
both spiritual ones and cultural ones. There are places we don't go, things we don't say, ways that we don't treat others, attitudes we don't have, hearts that do reach a place where they are not pleasing to God. There are boundaries on this road that we take that the Bible says is narrow. It has boundaries. We must learn these ourselves and help those we lead learn them too. We teach spiritual discipline and boundaries, and we give and take correction well. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Well, look at this word prudent, because I'm sure you used it yesterday in your conversation at some point. Prudence simply means acting with or showing care and thought for the future. In other words, this would be a good idea to pay attention to and do. So, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds that, whoever listens to his instruction, that's a good idea. Notice that it says instructions and reproof, meaning show how through example and show where it went wrong. Can't just be, that was wrong. Well, why and how? Help me learn, help me grow. It does not say, see there has to be that. It doesn't say hover and take on the responsibility yourself that they should be taking on. And certainly don't ever make your children feel the sting of failure or hurt. Doesn't say that. We have to, we must let them begin to take responsibility for themselves. Now that may mean some poor decisions along the way. But I believe that if we instruct and give good input at those down moments, we will see better and better results. My advice is to start this early, whether in your own children when they are young or early in a mentoring relationship. Why? Because it sets the standard for what the real point of all this is, what the real goal is. Listen carefully. The goal is not to have good kids. The goal is to see spiritual growth and development as well as growth in an individual's ability to live their own life and their own spiritual walk. Not to just get them to do, well, just do what I say right now. Well, that's not it. Why? Remember, we are raising, ultimately, we are raising adults, not children. Then I think in order for this to go to the next generation, this seems intuitive, right? We need to pass it on. We have to pass it on. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We get to live and worship in a multi-generational community. We don't live, none of us live, in a bubble that is one generation in size. It's not just about people who are just like me. You see, here's the thing we have to remember. You aren't just training your son, you're training your son's son and your son's son's son. Now, New Life, there are six generations that are part of this body from age 96 down to the babies born this last week. Realize that it is gonna take time and energy given to all the things that we've talked about already for the truth of the gospel to be passed from one generation to another. Here's what has to happen as we pass it on. We have to be people who decide we're gonna leave a spiritual legacy. Now, for those of us my age and up, we're thinking spiritual legacy, why? Because we're kinda 
We're, we're getting close, okay? We're just getting close, that's what I'm saying. But I would challenge you, if you're a teenager here, start thinking about your spiritual legacy now. Start thinking about what you want your life to be, who it's going to impact. Not just now, but in future generations. What you're gonna lo- what's your life going to look like when you're my age? Or somebody older. Look down your row. What's your life going to look like when it's your, your, your mom and dad's age? What, what's your legacy? What are you creating? 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, I love what I believe is just this sweet description of fathers. What fathers are called to, and this is true of anybody who has impact on anybody else, but we're going to use dads because it's Father's Day. Fathers give. Fathers protect. Fathers bestow wisdom. Fathers yearn and long for the good of their children. Fathers delight. Fathers sacrifice. Fathers are jovial and open-handed. Fathers create abundance. And if lean times come, they take the leanest portion for themselves and create a sense of gratitude and abundance for the rest. Fathers love birthdays and Christmas because it provides them with yet another excuse to give some more to the kids. When fathers say no, as good fathers do from time to time, it is only because they are giving a more subtle gift, one that is a bit more complicated than a cookie. They must also include among their gifts things like self-control and discipline and a work ethic. But they are giving these things, not taking something else away just for the sake of taking. Follow Jesus, dads. Follow Jesus, single moms. Follow Jesus, mentors. Follow Jesus, grandparents. How about we determine to be good examples? Because in order to leave a legacy, you know, our world is more than full of poor examples. Let's be good ones. I like to think of it this way. If I am going to walk through a minefield, I want to get input and direction from someone who knows where the mines are, who has mapped it out. Why? Because I want to come out in one piece on the other side. Gracious, godly leaders lead their children through the minefield of life and sin. We have to leave a legacy that shows others where to go. And I think we need to be people who learn how to express pride and affection. I love this passage in Matthew 3. If you've taken the New Life class recently, we talk about this. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. Opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Look at this amazing passage in Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism. The Father says, This is my Son, I am very pleased with him. Jesus was beginning his ministry, and his Father expresses his pleasure in him. You know, we like to put it this way. This is at a point he hadn't done anything. He hadn't done any miracles. Nothing had happened. It was just because he was his son. How powerful is it 
when a leader or a parent or a mentor tells us that we are important enough to them to express pleasure in them and remind them of who and whose we are. Isn't it powerful when someone that we look to for leadership says those things to us? In 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul begins his letter to Timothy. He says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, this is just one of many examples in Paul's writings where he shows deep affection to his adopted son, Timothy. I find it touching that Paul goes one step further than just my child. He says, my true child. It's as though he's deepening his words here to show the intensity of his affection. Now, let's not forget that Timothy has become a leader in his own right by the time this letter was written. Now, Father Paul is addressing his son in his role as a young pastor. Why is Paul doing this? Because words matter. And how we say them matters even more. Tell your sons and daughters that they are loved. That they are chosen. That they are chosen children of the Most High God that they bring you pleasure, that you are proud of them, that you are for them. And I would encourage you to add in some good hugs and kisses too, because those multiply the impact off the charts. And let's make sure we do it continually. I am totally positive that Paul told Timothy how he felt about him every chance he had. And I can tell you that even the seemingly hardest of dudes are impacted when they, are, when they consistently hear, feel, and know your pride and your pleasure in them. We have to express pride and affection. And lastly, here's the goal. Here's our, our final goal. Let them run. Let them run. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, just a phenomenal passage in Scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to show you something that's extremely meaningful to me. If you come in my office, you will see this picture on my wall. It is verse 1 of Hebrews 12. This picture was taken on one of our mission trips to Costa Rica. Five men who I love very much were on that trip too. What a huge, amazing blessing it was to have these men there with me, sharing life sharing a life-changing experience. Men who I have tried and sought to mentor and train and teach and even father as best I could. Well, not long after we returned from the trip, we gathered in the prayer chapel and they gave me this picture. These words are what we have been through together over the years. Because together, we strive to lay aside the weights and the sins that battle against us. We fight to run with endurance this race of following Jesus. 
we look to Jesus for he is our only hope. And so each day that I walk into my office, every counseling session, every mentoring meeting, every leadership decision, every personal choice, I see this picture. And I'm reminded that I am called to be a father and a parent and a mentor and a leader who parents well, who sets the pace, who partners together with others, who passes the faith on and who lets others run because it does make a difference. And it, w- it will make sure that the message of the gospel thrives in coming generations. So how about you, Dad? How about you, Mom? Mentor? Leader? Influencer? Are you making a difference? Well, today you decide to make a difference. Our only hope at all is Jesus. It is for him and because of him that we can do this. And it is for him and because of him, only because of him, that we can even try to be this. So I want us to pray today for those who we influence. And I'd like if you join me here at these altars this morning in praying for those that we parent and mentor and lead and influence. Let's come to these altars and speak their names before God. Let's ask him that he he would give us guidance in this quest to make us men and women who live out before those that we want to parent and mentor and lead. we will be able to pass on the power of the gospel to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us truth to pass on to the generations to the next generation, to our children, to other men and women who you've brought into our lives. And so, Father, we gather here at these altars and we speak their names to you. We pray, we're going to pray for them and we'd ask that you give us greater ability to both do and be all that you have called us to. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.